Caution to listeners, the following podcast includes content of a graphic or distressing nature. I think that women who are marginalized and or criminalized are more likely to uh, be abused because society doesn't necessarily see them as important enough. Indigenous women, they represent, uh, I want to say, 3% of the Canadian population, and yet 60-some percent of missing and murdered women are Indigenous. Like, that statistic doesn't even make sense. You can't comprehend. Somebody Must Say These Things, a podcast made possible by the Transition House Association of Nova Scotia. Chapter 5 Nova Scotia is part of the unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq, called Mi'kma'ki. Centuries of settler colonialism have generationally traumatized and abused all Indigenous people. Indigenous people in Canada are still systematically disadvantaged, One of the most appalling examples of this is the phenomenon of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Some of the stories about the missing or murdered Indigenous women are just, they're heart-wrenching. For whatever reason that, you know, if, for instance, if they were murdered, some are unsolved, some you know, they know they have their answers, but it still has affected generations afterwards. Um, and some are still missing and they have no idea where they are. And hearing those family stories and listening to them talk about what that woman was like as a mom or as a sister or as a mother or even grandmother, you know, that it gave that personal touch. She's not, she's not just another number. She's somebody's mom and and auntie and you know sister and and that's what makes it so much more impactful that we need to really remember that these are humans you know that have lived a life before this happened to them and not knowing is what the families have said, that it's not knowing the answers is the most heart-wrenching part of it. In this episode, we will share the stories of the women who are decolonizing support services for Indigenous women who have been traumatized or impacted by violence. Their goal is to be trauma-informed and relevant to the marginalized communities of Mi'kmaq in Nova Scotia. Bev Walker manages the Mi'kmaq Healing Centers. She has seen the impact of Mi'kmaq and other Indigenous peoples sharing their stories. The more they reveal, the deeper and more vast the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women is shown to be. Native Women's Association did a project to when they decided to go across Canada and find out how many 
how many were there actually? And when they first did it, it the number was around 600. And as the years passed on, we're now into the thousands of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And so it became a movement across Canada to recognize and remember these women and try to find out why. And there was a national inquiry um, to hear the stories, hear the first stories of um, the families and women who may have been almost murdered or almost went missing and were able to get out or um, the families of women who are missing and murdered. Bev has also witnessed how government mistreatment and misunderstanding has resulted in deep mistrust in her communities. Generations of colonialism and assimilation have left Mi'kmaq to fight for the creation of their own systems of care and healing. There is a mistrust of government agencies, sometimes policing agencies. It's not with everyone, but because of trauma, it is. We're a program under Mi'kmaq Family and Children's Services, which is the Child Welfare Agency. In 1985, when the agency was developed, like it was so that we could have our own child welfare agency in our own communities instead of Department of Community Services coming in and taking our children, because that was the trauma of that happening um, with residential schools. They came in, they said, your, your ways are not right, and we're going to teach you the right way. Um, so that was that trauma. The 60s scoop, they, after residential schools closed, they came in and they took, they, and this was child welfare government agencies that came in and took children and just adopted them out because they said, you know, one of the things said that, you know, you don't know how to take care of your children. But they didn't know how to take care of their children because of residential schools, which was also government implemented, right? So it's a whole generational thing. We do not live in a world of equality. Certain demographics of people are marginalized and given fewer opportunities than others. These demographics can be ethnic, gender, socioeconomic, or all of the above. These layers of discrimination impact victims of violence against women too. Helen Morrison of Willow House explains. I think that the need for some to put what happens to some people into nice little packages is so uh, damaging, especially to those who are experiencing poverty or marginalization. You're devalued as a woman to start out with. Then if you're a black or an indigenous woman, you're even further marginalized. And then if you have addictions issues or mental health issues, you're even further mar marginalized. It's like you start out in a deficit and you just keep going down that deficit hole. I mean, I don't think I know that there isn't a, a high rate of, of violence against women who are from different races or backgrounds. And I think it all comes from the valuing of those women and their experiences.
The Mi'kmaq Healing Centers host culturally relevant holistic programming that is available to all First Nation men, women, and children who have experienced family violence. All the support staff are committed to assisting First Nation women, men, and children to develop and maintain a healthy and violence-free lifestyle. Families can also receive programming through the outreach program within their own communities with workers who are knowledgeable of their language, values, and lifestyle. The Wegemoff um, Center, it was the first to open. It was like 1993, two or three, um, when people came together and said, we need a women's shelter in one of our communities, and that it ended up being there. Um, it ended up being... Um, a program under Mi'kmaq Family and Children's Services, um, which is a child welfare agency here in Nova Scotia for uh, Indigenous people um, living in community. So built, they purpose-built a building. Um, a lot of transition houses are houses that are converted into um, bedrooms, like things like that, but this was a purpose-built building. And then two years after that, the one in Millbrook was built um, because we needed, we wanted to cover the whole province. Bev found purpose in finding ways to serve her community. Her own children were major inspirations. I wanted to be a youth worker because I had kids and then I seen kids who were struggling um, in the communities, in the First Nation community where I lived. So I said, I'm going to be a youth worker and I'm going to come back here and work with youth. And when I lived in the community, there wasn't a youth worker like that did any kind of counseling or anything like that. There was a recreation program, but there wasn't um, there wasn't that counseling part of it that I think we need not just in First Nation communities, but in all communities, and um, and uh, and that it's free for people to attend or for kids to go to. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. That was my dream. The Mi'kmaq Healing Centers strive to give Indigenous people in Nova Scotia a choice of how they want to address trauma they may be experiencing. Choices in terms of who they work with and the kinds of healing they receive. Empowering clients to take control of their healing process. We have staff even within our entire agency, but even within the healing centers who are not Indigenous. And, you know, some people don't don't make a connection with them because they're not Indigenous. And that's hard. <laughs> um, but the train, the staff are very well trained. And um, yeah, we, we get through it. <laughs> we get through it. There's trauma that's happened to someone that has impacted them differently than someone else. And we as staff have to recognize that. Healing is easier said than done especially for Indigenous people living with generational trauma. What we try to do is show people how there are good things in everything. We try to show them that, you know, you, if you were treated badly by a police agency, for instance, in some part of your life and that's a trauma, then let's heal that trauma in some way so that you can be okay with police agencies now or not be not be triggered when you see someone in uniform like that's that's how we're healing from those traumas and i think like that being trauma informed in that way lets us 
uh, gives us that opportunity to help people realize where the trauma came from and where it's, you know, where you want to be and then heal through that in whatever way that works for you. It doesn't, doesn't have to be a traditional way. It could be just, it could be therapy, like just mainstream therapy, you know, cause that, that works too. Bev and the team at the healing centers do their best to create an environment that lets their clients know that it is a safe space that is trauma-informed and delivers culturally aware programming. Someone who has attended residential school as a child, they may have spent 10 years in that school. They leave the school, they try to, you know, move on with their lives. Like it, But in that, while they were in the school, they were traumatized. They were beaten. They were sexually abused. They were starved. They were all of those things and, and weren't able to go home to be with their families and learn what a loving family was like. So when they grow up and become parents themselves or, you know, they're trying to deal with your trauma and they maybe they're dealing with it in a way that, you know, they could be self-medicating or whatever it is. But the generations are affected by what happened, like say to my great grandmother, attended, if she attended residential school, then my grandmother was affected because of the way she parented her and then so on and so on. And it goes through the generation. So even if it's the third generation who had attended residential school, that generational trauma gets passed on and passed on the trauma of the original person. It could also be that the grandmother went to residential school, the mother went to residential school, the child went to residential school. There could be two or three generations of people who had went to, gen to residential school um, or were involved in the 60s scoop. Just all that trauma that has happened because of the schools, that's just one example, because of that is passed down and it will be passed down for generations. But every generation has their own type of healing and their own way of, you know, moving past that trauma. Bev has seen how their holistic approach has benefited the clients who walk into the centers. Clients who may have never felt seen or heard before finally feel comfortable asking for help because they can relate to the staff working there. One of the things when you walk into the center, you'll, um, you may smell smell. Um, smudging, which is uh, sage or sweetgrass. When you walk in, we try to smudge every day in the in the building. We have um, an eagle feather staff hanging um, in our doorway. We have a red dress hanging in the doorway, like all things that symbolize what what we're about, and you know, just um, First Nation art and pictures, and you know, things that make you feel kind of comfortable, I guess, as a First Nation person to know that even if there's not, a, the staff person isn't First Nation, because we're not all, for, they're not, everyone's not all First Nation, that you're still going to have that relevance when you come into the building. And when we do our programming, our programming is holistic in nature. So we base it on the medicine wheel and any kind of the seven sacred teachings and things like that. So it's all we integrate that into our teachings, and um, if we if someone 
with like traditional teachings such as going to a sweat or anything like that. Like we have those available to us too. The generational trauma again happened because, you know, they were getting letters from the government basically saying that, you know, the native people aren't allowed to drum and dance. And so they were ashamed of doing that. Like they were taught to be ashamed of doing that. And so a lot of people didn't do it for many, many years. And that recently got brought back. Well, I say recent, but I'm, it's like 20 years recent. <laughs> um, it's, it's coming back more and more. And again, you see the younger generations wanting to dance at powwows and learning the traditional dances and drums and making drums and making regalia and things like that. And it it's bringing back all of that. One of the things that we do at the Healing Center is we have, you know, the materials to make traditional things, uh, ribbon skirts, or like a dream catcher of their own or a medicine pouch or something like that. So, so we're trying to bring that back and make that relevant in our centers. One of the important things is to see someone who looks like me or someone who can identify um, in the culture, like if you're Mi'kmaq or if you're not in, you know, in Nova Scotia. I mean, we've had women who were Inu from Labrador and well, that area, not specifically Labrador. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they've come in and they've been in other shelters and they felt so much more comfortable um, just knowing that we were going to take the time to um, listen and respect her culture as well. And, 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 the, and they can learn about our culture too. So I think the importance of it is to feel the freedom to practice your own spirituality if that's what you want to do or even even if it's not even if you're a churchgoer you know um, and you're not you don't practice like traditional indigenous ways that you have the freedom to do that that's I think that's what we're about is a is about it's about being all-inclusive I guess it's the best word to use because we want everyone to feel comfortable and if then and we're trauma informed so for us that means it might mean different it might mean something different to other people but being trauma informed for us is knowing the history of indigenous people so knowing um the history of residential schools about the 60 scoop and um you know about what's happening today with uh indigenous missing murdered indigenous women um and you know even as recently as finding um the children at the buried children at the residential schools now um what kind of impact that's having on people who are already in crisis so some of the things that we've i have personally heard from uh women who have stayed at the shelter is that when they come in they feel comfortable they feel when just even just the artwork on the wall or um, just a dream catcher hanging in their window, um, knowing that who you're talking to, some people are First Nation, um, even if they're not, that they've been uh, educated in the culture. We have we have core training that all staff have to do, whether they're Indigenous or not, um, about our history of Indigenous people. 
and how that's how we could be trauma informed by knowing all those things and understanding that that generational trauma is what may have brought them to where they are today. Empathy, compassion, understanding. These are the small everyday things that the Mi'kmaq Healing Centers provide Indigenous clients. They have created a system of support that is not only trauma-informed, but culturally aware of the generations of pain Indigenous people have experienced. Because everyone deserves the equal opportunity to be happy, healthy, and safe. Thank you for listening to Somebody Must Say These Things. In our next chapter, we will turn our attention toward what women face when leaving the care of transition houses and attempt to reintegrate into their communities. What challenges do they face? What dangers still exist? We can't look at a woman and say, yay, she's she's moved on, she's found her apartment, that's a success, uh, because sometimes they go back and we can't look at that as failures. And how do transition house workers prepare them? There's so many barriers for them, even as they move on. Trying to live on your own is difficult, whether you're by yourself or you have children. We all have a responsibility to support and advocate for victims of violence against women. Do your part to help make the Transition House Association of Nova Scotia 100% government funded. THANS exists to eliminate violence against women in Nova Scotia. Their organizations provide a full range of support services to women and children in a safe, supportive environment and provide survivors of violence with opportunities to learn about available resources and alternatives to facilitate informed personal choices and decisions. The vital work they do is constantly threatened by unstable, inconsistent funding. Ask your government representative to advocate for long-term, stable funding for THANs and help end violence against women. For more information, visit THANs.ca. That's T-H-A-N-S dot C-A. Podstarter.